0: rpn the roddenberry podcast network tuesday night at 7 p.m pacific 10 p.m eastern that is the time the internet is a place star trek is the topic it is mission log live i'm ken ray john's not here tonight he is traveling this week leaving the hosting duties to me and to a co-host also from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This week, discussing the fourth episode of Star Trek Discovery's second season, and Obel for Charon, maybe? Maybe Sue knows. Uh, we'll be joined by Sue Kissenweather in a bit. One of the Women at Warp, from Women at Warp, another Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, as I say. Additionally, Sue is number one's number one fan. Uh, we'll find out why. We'll get her take on the new number one's arrival on the scene. And, of course, we're going to take your calls. Do you have thoughts on this week's episode on the new number 1 something else Star Trek E. Well, you can join our Zoom meeting by using the one tap from your smartphone or clicking on the link that you should see on Facebook uh, if I did that right and believe me there is plenty chance I did not. You can also call 646-558-8656. 646-558-8656. Uh, and we would love to get your questions, your thoughts on tonight. Uh, John usually says hi to people in the room here. So let's say there's Chris, there's Lars, there's James, and that's all the people I can see right now. So everybody who's live with us right now, uh, thank you very much for being live with us right now. Also, if you're catching the video later on Facebook or if you're catching it on YouTube, and for people who don't know, it's youtube.com slash prod. Uh, We do thank you very much for watching whenever you're watching. And finally, if you were catching just the audio version later, basically what I'm saying is thanks. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. Um, I'm going to tell you really quickly what's coming up, and then I'm going to introduce Sue, and then we're going to talk about the poll, and then I'm going to do the recap, and then we're going to have a lot of fun. There we go. Uh, what's coming up uh, in the immediate future is more disco talk. Well, actually, in the immediate, immediate future, John and I wrap up season two of Discovery, not Discovery, of Deep Space Nine uh, this Thursday, uh, wrapping up with the Hadar. So uh, that's coming up immediately for us. Next Tuesday, of course, we have another Discovery show. And then next Thursday, at the not at the Roddenberry Nexus in Sansar, but at the new Roddenberry Theater in Sansar, we're doing a screening of another uh, of another Roddenberry property a few years ago. They did a film called The White Room, and we're going to be uh, we're going to be hosting a screening of that film. That's going to be Thursday, the twenty first of February, seven p.m. Pacific, ten p.m. Eastern. And then we're very happy to have a guest joining us for that. Uh, Greg Abramowitz is going to be there. Uh, Greg works in film. He actually did uh, special effects for The White Room, or did effects? Well, aren't all effects special really? Anyway. He did some work on the white room. So he's going to be there to talk about that. And of course, we're going to be screening and hosting people there. Reminder, you do not have to have a VR headset to take part in that. All you have to have is a Sansar account. Sansar.com is the place to make one of those. You'll want to go a day or two early because it takes a little bit of time to set up your avatar doesn 't cost anything you can you know deck yourself out. I want to say there are even some free Rottenberry t shirts in the shop at sansar, so it wouldn 't cost you anything to dress up like you know somebody who likes what we do and then uh, go there and and hang out with us. Uh, the one thing you do need is a computer that uses Windows seven or can run Windows seven or later uh, sadly there 's no Mac support for it for the time being. When there will be is just about anybody 's question. Let's see. Okay, so now let me introduce my co-host for the evening, if you will. Uh, Sue Kissenweather is one of the Women at Warp from the podcast Women at Warp, another Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Uh, Sue, uh, thank you very much for joining us this evening.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk about this
0: episode. Are you okay? So are you really? Because here's the thing. When John said, hey, number one's going to be on, let's have Sue on as well, because you are the number one, number one fan. Um, I almost sent him a message saying, should we see how much of the episode number one is in? <laughs> but then I thought, no, they've been talking about the fact that it's going to be Rebecca Romaine for so long. And there she is in the preview. So, you know, this is going to be a number one episode. And I want to say she was out in the prologue.
1: I mean, yeah, it was about two okay. minutes.
0: Okay. All right.
1: But it, it was a good two minutes. But- <laughs> The rest of the episode wasn't too shabby either, in my opinion.
0: No, that's okay. I'm, I'm with you on that. Let me ask you, though, when you say it was a good two minutes, was it because of the sriracha? Was it because of the cheeseburger? <laughs> what was it that made it a really good two minutes?
1: Um, you know, we only had one episode, really, with number one in the cage. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Right? You can argue the menagerie, but it's the same footage. And in one of the reasons that I love... Majel's number one so much is because we get so much depth in that character in just that one episode, more so than we do from some of the women in the first couple seasons of The Next Generation. And I wanted to see that they would bring that to this new number one, to to Rebecca Romaine's number one. And even though it was very short in this first episode she's in, I think they did that. And I think... Um, Because the cage is about three or four years prior to what's happening in Discovery right now. Mm -hmm. I think we have seen how her relationship with Pike has grown. I think we see a little bit of her, like Sassatron, in her discussions with him. Right. And we see right away in that very short amount of time how good she is at her job.
0: I want to talk to you a lot more about number one, not only the number one that we saw this week, but also yeah. uh, the one from, I guess, you know, pre-TOS, if you get right down to it. But first, there's the other stuff that we normally do here. Like I'm going to remind people about the poll that we have going currently, as well as the poll that we had last week. Uh, last week, is this poor creature evil? It was a play on words, Sue. So. Do you like plays on words? I do. Okay. So, may be... 37% may be not. See, because the spore creature, her name's May. Uh-huh. <clears throat> 63%. I, yeah, I think that's the way it's going to be. She's going to end up being, well, I don't know, because then she got scary towards the end of this episode, but we'll do that part in the recap and then we'll come back. Uh, the question this week, and I'm sorry, I don't have any of the uh, stats in front of me right now, but the question this week, uh, what's your groove? Are you a fan of the standalone episode or do you prefer part X of 14? Gotten into a discussion with um, Elijah from priority one earlier this week. and he's going to do a show later and he'll say what he thinks about it. But um, he was actually kind of disappointed that it was a standalone episode. He likes sort of the game of Thrones thing where if you, you know, didn't watch last week and you're not planning on watching next week, there's no point in watching in the middle. He like he wants it all Spock all the time, or all the search for Spock, I suppose, which is, I guess, what this whole uh, season could be called. Now I think about it. Um, so that's what brought the question up. So I'm curious what everybody else thinks. Uh, Standalone or Part X of 14, uh, facebook.com slash missionlogpod is the place to weigh in. And that poll will be up there until we come up with next week's poll next week. Uh, Sue, if you got a minute, I'll go ahead and recap the episode for people, and then we'll hopefully take some calls, take some questions. Uh, Again, use the one tap from your smartphone or hit the Zoom link on the Facebook page or give us a call at 646-558-8656. Will you allow me to do the recap? Take it away. Thank you very much. Hey, look, it's number one. Pike's first officer from the Enterprise. She's got an update on where Spock's headed. She uh, found the info, but that Pike not ask more questions. With that, Pike says goodbye to number one. She'll be staying on the Enterprise. Then he puts Discovery on course to intercept Spock. Far from excited, Burnham asks that she be no part of any of it. Request that Spike is on his way to denying when Discovery is pulled out of warp by something. It's big and it's scary. Also, the blobby thing that used to be Tilly's imaginary dead friend May is in quarantine. And Saru has a cold. And stuff's about to get crazy. The space thing that's grabbed Discovery is 100,000 years old, unlike anything Starfleet has ever seen. It's vibrating, maybe trying to communicate, though that idea is practically forgotten when the Universal Translator goes nuts. Everybody on the bridge and on the ship is speaking a different language. Thankfully, Saru knows 94 different languages himself. He's able to understand just about everyone on the bridge and fix their systems uh, for the time being. They figure that that thing that they've encountered has given the ship some sort of virus. Wiping it out won't be easy. Luckily, engineering is not affected. That's where Stamets, Tilly, and Jet Reno are chatting. Reno's been sent to make sure engineering stays unaffected. Stamets and Reno argue about spores versus dilithium for propulsion. Reno likes a good chemical reaction, you can understand. Stamets likes how clean and renewable spores are. It's all fun and games until the virus does affect engineering. The room seals itself to protect um, everyone, though it might kill everyone inside. It's cool. They solved that problem. But there's a new one. The blobby thing that used to be Tilly's imaginary dead friend, May, has escaped quarantine and attached itself to Tilly. Also, Saru's cold. That's starting to look much more like uh, something worse than a cold. His ganglia are acting up. He's seeing ultraviolet flashes no one else is seeing, and he's dying. This fear is kicking in the process that happens when it's time for a Kelpian to go for slaughter. Saru will either die or go mad, then die. So it's worse than a cold. Speaking of colds or worse, Saru thinks they could come up with some sort of digital antibodies to slow the progress of the virus on the ship. Saru and Burnham will work on that. Also, when the time comes, Will Burnham catalog his journal so that eventually his people can know what he did, once telling them wouldn't violate General Order 1, that is? Also, when the more immediate time comes, he'll want Burnham to cut off his threat ganglia and kill him. You know, to stop him from going mad. Back on the bridge, Pike's worried that they're about to lose Spock's trail. Burnham heads to engineering to see if they can boost power to get away from the space they can get back on Spock's trail, In engineering, Stamets thinks maybe they can talk to the thing attached to Tilly, ask it what it wants. It'll involve drilling a hole in Tilly's head, but she'll be fine. And that gives Burnham the idea that maybe the space thing is trying to talk to them. The space thing is dying, taking 100,000 years of experience with them. It wants to tell its story, to pass on its knowledge. Seroo's empathy has put him in the death throes that he's feeling from the space thing. They have to talk Mike out of killing it which they do, and they get a ton of info. Starfleet will be working through it for 100 years. And great news. One of the last things it saw was Spock's trajectory. So they're back on his trail, and Michael's on board because of a conversation she had with Saru while he was dying. He made her promise to make amends with Spock. Also, Saru didn't die. Right, as Burnham was about to cut off his ganglia, thus killing him, in theory, His ganglia fell off. He didn't go mad. He didn't die. In fact, all fear is gone. He feels power. And now he wants to save his people. Maybe we'll get to that. So all's well that ends well, right? Yeah, we forgot about Tilly. The thing that attached Tilly's... Excuse me. The thing they attached to Tilly's head to talk to May worked. Turns out she's a member of a formerly peaceful race whose life was disrupted by an alien life form traipsing all over its environment. Uh, That would be Stamets and his jumps aboard Discovery. It was ruining May's ecosystem. Stamets apologizes and asks May to return his friend, but she says she can't. The thing has other plans for Tilly. The blobby thing that used to be Tilly's imaginary dead friend May has swallowed Tilly whole. Reno and Stamets get her out, though. Or do they? They decide they need to close the door to the network forever. The, the blobby thing is sort of shot spores in their face as they were trying to get Tilly out. Whether she was out, then swallowed again, or never got out, it would seem that Tilly is inside the blobby thing that used to be Tilly's imaginary dead friend, May. The end. Well, for now. See, it's part X of 14, Sue, so, so we don't actually know... I can't imagine that's how it ends. I doubt it. I got to ask. So you said there was a lot to like about this episode. Tell me what were some of your immediate thoughts? What were some of the things that that really uh, jumped out at you?
1: I really enjoyed this and it reminded me a lot of different episodes that we've seen in other series.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, the the language thing on the the bridge reminded me of Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that the crew members were were sectioned off from each other and couldn't really get around, especially in engineering, reminded me of Disaster from TNG. Mm. So I saw little bits that I recognized from from the other series and from other stories that just fit so well for me. And it's also, I know we're having this, this standalone versus continuing whatever debate. I feel like, in my opinion, that season two is going to end up somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like every season two episode is really about something. And you can say this episode is, is about death or about dying wishes. But I think for me, this episode is really about communication. And that's what every different story aspect comes back down to is either literally or, you know, interpersonally is communication and the right way to communicate.
0: I want to remind people, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call 646-558-8656, or you can uh, use the one on top of your smartphone or click the link uh, on the uh, Facebook page. And I'm really going to encourage people to, to actually call in because I'm seeing a bunch of questions go by really quickly on the Facebook page. And and like there's almost enough time to read them before they're gone. Like uh, Sue, somebody actually had a question for you specifically. Yeah, I believe they said, "Do you feel like the writers this season have a hand on Burnham's character?" I'm sort of surprised they didn't ask about number one, although we had like two minutes of number one. So the question, as it was posed, was, "Do you feel like the writers this season actually have a a, a handle on on the way they're uh, treating Burnham's character this season?" Hmm.
1: Huh. I think so far that we're seeing Burnham very unsure of herself and I think a lot of that is going to stem from whatever it is she did to Spock. And that's uh, but before the season started it felt to me like the the showrunners and the producers and even the tie-in media was all telegraphing that we were going to be dealing with complicated family relationships. And I think that's where we're seeing Burnham. She's in the midst of trying to figure that out. Whether they have a handle on her character this season, I'm not sure I'm the best person to answer that question, mostly because in terms of the main cast of Discovery, I'm more drawn to Saru. So to be honest, I haven't been paying as close attention to Burnham's storyline as I have my favorite Kelpian.
0: I will say honestly, Saru is the character who drove the show for me in the first season as well. He was the one that I, I'm, I'm sad to say, um, most identify with as well. Like yeah. So much of what I've done in my life has been driven by fear. I don't like that, but it's true. And so watching Saru sort of come to terms with that has been a really neat thing to has been a neat thing to watch and see. Which, I will be honest, made me a bit disappointed when, as Saru was laying there dying, he's like, oh, but Michael, remember, it's all about you. Take take care (laughs) of what's going on with you and Spock, okay? Because that's what would really mean the most to me, as as all of my knowledge is about to go, you know, be eaten up by the blurb or whatever. So I said earlier that you are the number one, number one fan. There may, in fact, be bigger number one fans out there, but you go to... Uh, like STLV or someplace like that, and you'll see a bunch of people dressed as Spock. You'll see a bunch of people dressed as you know all kinds of monsters. They get really good into prosthetics and things like that. Uh, I want to say I saw two number ones earlier this year or last year at STLV, and you were mm-hmm. one of them. Yes. What is it about that character that has that has that has uh, resonated? I mean, despite the other fifty-two years now of Star Trek that's been out there.
1: Uh, um, It's a lot of what I said earlier, you know, she's, she's very capable. She is well-rounded. And we, we learned so much about her in such a short amount of time, but a lot of it too is that it's Majel, right? You can't, you can't separate the original number one from Majel Barrett and everything she did for the franchise. And, you know, we call her the first lady of Star Trek and for a good reason, uh, even after Jean's death, she was still going to conventions and still promoting the shows, and really making sure that the legacy of the show and the the philosophies and the meaning and the goals all survived in the fandom.
0: Okay. Do you feel like then? Well, so what is that? Hmm. To your way of thinking, does that put extra weight on on bringing number one uh, back to the screen?
1: It it shouldn't, but it probably does. Um, okay, I mean, I'm not looking for for Rebecca Romaine to take the reins that that Majel Barrett had mm-hmm. uh, by any means, but it for me, it actually puts more pressure on the way that she's written. Because uh, if there's problems with the character, that to me, that's what it comes back to. It comes back to the way a character is written. Uh, you can't blame an actor for the material that they're given. So that, that's where I want to see them do right by this character, uh, who was conceived of, who want, who, who Jean wanted to be in this position of power on the bridge, second in command of this ship, and to do right by her, do right by that original vision that never came to pass.
0: I am uh, told by some people. I'm trying to get Earl if he could actually put up the information in the Facebook chat because I'm told that something's happening when people dial that number. But I'll do the number part because I have that memorized: six four six five five eight eight six five six is the phone number to call. Six four six five five eight eight six five six, or you can click the one on tap from your smartphone or um, uh, click on the link in the Facebook page. There were a few things, okay, so you like the fact that this episode was about sort of one thing where there's specific things that sort of jumped out. Because I've got like two or three, well, I already did one, like, you know, Saru's dying thoughts being about Michael and Spock. Would, would anybody? There was another episode that you mentioned, um, well, when you said this reminds me of this episode, this reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. I cannot remember. It was a TNG episode where we find out that traveling warp speed as fast as we can is actually sort of wearing a hole in parts of the galaxy. Do you remember force this? Force of nature. Thank you. Oh, wow. You're, wow. You and John Champion should have a I know the titles off. That would be fantastic because I'm terrible at that. This reminded me a lot of force of nature. I was a little disappointed that we're, we seem ready to sort of wrap that up in about, in about um, three uh, episodes, maybe yeah. we had May there wanting to say something. We had you know Stammet saying I'm really sorry about that. Now whatever's going to happen next week, which looks like a cross between—I was going to say a cross between a horror movie and Annihilation, but Annihilation was really kind of a horror movie. Um, and there, there were there were some things about that that bothered me. Like so so Jet Reno and and Stammet are having their conversation about renewable energy versus um, consumable energy. I suppose right.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I really like Stamets whole thing about, hey, it's clean, it's green, it's awesome. And then it's sort of like, well, no, it turns out this is killing people or killing things. Um, I don't know. I mean, do little things like that, like sort of reson- like hit for you or is it just sort of like that one bothered me I'm sorry I feel like that that idiot character from uh, Saturday Night Live was like that was cool but that's sort of like that, that's sort of like where I landed on that it's sort of like it felt like they were gonna make an environmental pitch and then they sort of actually said, well actually no it turns out the environmentalism is is just as bad if not worse
1: I don't know if it bothered me. I think it is an interesting way to make people realize that newer isn't always better, or that everything has consequences. You Mm. know, just because something is recyclable, is it really recyclable? Is it 100%? Because nothing's really 100%. Sometimes it's only 10%. You know, is what does renewable really mean in this instance? What does green really mean in this instance? Um, And I think it's a bit of a reminder that we need to be more conscious about that sort of thing.
0: It does also solve the problem that a lot of people had all season last year and into the beginning of this one, the sports drive so awesome. Why aren't we still using it? <laughs> so I mean, I guess we couldn't be going ahead and taking away, uh, yeah, taking away that issue as well. Um, yeah, we knew we were going to get a reason eventually. Yeah, you, yes. Although I mean, we got we got two of those things handled this week. Actually, why aren't we still using the spore drive? Mm-hmm. And uh, and why does the Enterprise have all the flat screens instead of all the holograms? Right? Because <laughs> cause apparently Pike thinks that's the problem with the Enterprise. He said that that Livier warned him. Yeah, well, he did not say that. Yes, but if if everybody else, I don't know. Kind of is Livier a character that we actually remember? Forgive me, because I've watched the Cage a few times, but it's only been a few.
1: I I don't think we meet him, but we might again hear the name.
0: All right. I'm not
1: positive on that one.
0: I was really, uh, I feel terrible, but I was, I was really hoping for a lot of boys this season Maybe (laughs) maybe next year. I don't know. Or, or next time, what else jumped out for you?
1: What else jumped out for me? I really liked the sphere and I felt, I kept getting the impression that we've seen something like it before, but I couldn't put a finger on it.
0: It's a tiny okay. bit It's a tiny bit veger, but not exactly. I mean, in that it had a ton of information that it had amassed and wanted to share, although it wasn't dying, of course, when it came across it.
1: Yeah, it looked visually similar to something for me, but I don't know if I'm mixing up sci-fis in my head because I couldn't pin it down. And I mean, Doug Jones. The, the real standout. I, I tweeted after I watched it that Doug Jones deserves an Emmy for this episode. And I will stand by that because I was torn to bits watching him with, um, Martin Green in the, that scene in the science lab and in, in his quarters after just heart wrenching.
0: He did do a very good job. And it's one of those things I've heard people talk about this, maybe Elijah again from Priority One, I'm not sure. But I mean, to be able to bring emotion when you're under about three uh, three inches of uh, of latex is kind of incredible. A lot of it too, I mean, because he's just so he's so tall and so thin, you don't really think a lot about the physicality of what he does. I mean, except for the occasional like maybe sitting up a bit more straight or maybe a little something with his hands, but there was, there was a lot of physicality in this, uh, in this episode as well.
1: especially showing Perfect. that he's ill.
0: Yes. Uh, sorry. We're hearing a few things in the background because we actually have a caller, I think lined up, uh, remind everybody else though, who's thinking about calling. Oh, you should do it. Cause it's so much fun. Uh, 646-558-8656 is the number to call or click the one tap from your smartphone or use the link on your Facebook page. Uh, Keith, is standing by. How's it going, Keith?
3: Uh, hey, Ken. Oh, nice to talk to you again. Hi, Sun. Nice to meet you. Uh, <laughs> I was really, I know in the, the main thing I wanted to just say uh, about this episode, and kind of, it's almost at bonk bonk on the head level, but they had at the beginning of the se- season that this se- season was going to have a lot to do with family. And they really hit it with this one in the the whole scenes with Michael and Saru. And as also to a degree, the scenes of Stamets and Tilly that you have these family units forming within the crew, sometimes together, sometimes separate, but uh, it's uh, almost, they pretty much said it almost that Michael and Saru have this brother, sister sort of relationship going. And when you look back, every episode has had some family thing to it, whether it be Laurel asking, being told, telling the Klingons to call her mother or the first episode being called brother or uh, Amanda coming back. Uh, There's very, very strong family messaging across every episode so far.
0: That's truly really interesting. It hadn't, hadn't occurred to me. Well, it hadn't occurred to me that, I mean, the, I mean, when you say it that way, it's very obvious that there is that family string, but I hadn't really hadn't felt it, I guess, so much. Uh, What about you, Sue?
1: Yeah, I definitely see that there. And, you know, the the novels they released leading up to this season were a lot about Tilly and her mother and the the difficulty that she had in her family growing up. So I, I do think that the the writers of this season are are leaning hard on exploring those family relationships
0: Hmm. Is that what I've been wondering about? Because last season, and I haven't, I haven't heard any spoilers, so I don't know, but last season we basically had, I mean, it was one long season, but it was divided up. We got we, all of a sudden we're in the mirror universe and part two of the season was a very different thing mm-hmm. than part one of discovery. Do you think the family thing goes all the way through or do we get to a point where, okay, now we've got Spock. Now we're all back together and we still have this red-edged old thing to solve.
1: I think the family thing might, start to wrap up for Burnham and Spock, but there's a lot more going on on that ship. There, there is Tilly and her mother, you know, we saw in short tracks, we might see her again. Uh, there's, um, Stamets deciding if he wants to stay on the ship because he's lost his family. And Mm -hmm. there are the, the other relationships that are forged on that ship. There's, um, Saru, we know we're going back to Kaminar because they've told us that. <laughs> um, we know we're going to see his sister again because they've told us that. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely going to be a lot more to deal with. And it's not just about, you know, Spock's family.
0: It's, uh, the, the thing with Kaminar is actually really strange too, because obviously Starfleet has known for a while that that was going on. Right. I mean, when when Lieutenant Giorgio, I guess, came down and picked up uh, picked up uh, Saru, I mean, they they kind of had an idea of what's been going on there. Um, I will say honestly, I'm glad it looks like we're going to get to go back and have him take care of his family. I wonder though, is that going to happen on screen, or is that going to happen in a novel, or do we know that for certain? Have we heard?
3: Uh, if you watch some of the the next time trailers, they have shown in brief shots. You see Saru with his sister in the uh, um, transporter room. So she makes it onto the discovery. Hey, uh, Keith, was there anything else on your mind this evening? Oh uh, no, that pretty much covers it. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but thank you so much for letting me be part of the show. Yeah,
0: well, it's always a, it's always a pleasure when you call in. I do appreciate it. Great, right. thanks, Ken uh 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call 646-558-8656 or we do also have um you know ways that people can join on video uh just the way keith did a moment ago so i'm picking up names i think as people are calling in i believe there is a karen on the line
4: hi this is karen
0: hey excellent there is a karen on the line fantastic how's it going tonight (laughs) good good what's on your mind this evening?
4: Well, I had some of the same observations that you just had about the family relationships. I mean, that there's been this mini arc going on of, you know, the definitely strong relationships it kind of connected to that. I think I've heard the word love more in discovery than I ever heard in almost any other Trek. It's been very, you know... Um, it, really interesting how strong these bonds are and i really i know uh people some people are like "Oh, did he really have to use the drill but i love the space oddity scene um i loved that to me that's the way paul stamets could tell tilly he loved her and she says she knows you know something that in his character he wouldn't necessarily come out like Michael and say it you know that was very I just thought that was very touching and it just a lot of this episode was touching in that way and I really appreciated it I just thought this was a lovely episode all the way around and I love i loved, uh, all of the, the universal translator uh look at what would happen if that break broke down, you know, um, very interesting to to see that it's like, yeah, you know, it's a complicated thing.
0: <laughs> I actually found myself wondering if anybody was speaking a language that they actually spoke, which I know is kind of weird, but like, does Pike speak French? <laughs> I'm
4: not, I don't know. Yeah, I don't
0: know. Was, I wondered that too. That was a, um. the last time I remember seeing the universal translator, I mean, well, I mean, Sue of course mentioned the, the DS9 episode earlier, but um, in Star Trek Beyond, I think when when uh, the, that character uh, beamed onto the ship and was trying to talk and the lips didn't quite sync up and and the words were having trouble catching up, that was that was actually a really neat and there's almost nothing to the really effects for all intended purposes, with the exception of the um, of the subtitles. Um, but that was a that was a that was a wonderful bit of. Uh, yeah, that was one Bit of uh, science fiction uh, mind bleepery, as as John and I are fond of saying.
4: I think it bothered people. Some, some I've seen comments about the lips and and you know that they they weren't off sync with uh, what what was coming out of their mouths. But I'm like, that's just to me, that's a conceit. You just have to give the show, you know, that they're actually speaking how they would normally speak in another language. You know, all these different languages are coming out. but, uh, it, it was really, I really enjoyed that aspect of it too. I mean, there were just so many aspects of this, of this episode that I loved. Do
0: Do you mind if I ask, I know, um, I mean, of course you're free to do the whole, the poll thing, but I'm curious, are you more of a, like one and done kind of episode. And it's not really fair to say that this was one and done because we still don't know exactly what's going to happen to Tilly. We're still chasing Spock, but sort of like, I mean, the two big things in this episode are Saru dying and and the thing they've come across in space. Similar in a way- Well, for me, I really- Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's similar in a way to uh, and, and to New Eden as well. I mean, there's still the through line of where right. she's we still don't know what the Red Angel is, but New Eden starts and ends as far as we know with that episode. Do you find yourself drawn more to the, to the one and done or to the... Um...
4: I really am not drawn to one or the other. I like the combination of both. I like having a story that ends, but an over, you know, uh, a larger arc that's going through the entire series. Mm-hmm. I really like the combination, actually um, it for me to go solely episodic, it removes a little bit of that ability for the characters to have consequences um, i you know I do not know why this is, but I feel like writers tend to just then not have those storylines continue to grow. Mm-hmm. without some overreaching arc. But I I think that I do feel like they have to pack a lot in because of the size of the season, you know, and the amount of story they want to tell. It doesn't allow for as much breathing. But I thought, for me, this week really hit a pretty good pace, a pretty good combination of that. You had your scenes that had a little more... Uh, breath to them, but you also had enough pace to drive the stories forward. So I I thought they did a really good job this week combining those two things. But I really don't have a preference of one to the other. I think that it's a, a really good combination because then you can have, but I do feel like there might be things that will come forward. I feel like they needed to the asteroid to solve the problem in New Eden. And mm. I kind of wonder if coming forward, it was very significant to me that Jacob in New in New Eden said, I, I you know, he was very certain he would see Christopher Pike again. Sure. And I thought that was like, is he the next piece of the puzzle going forward? Like, are there going to, is that, I don't know. I don't think we have enough episodes to, to know that that's something that's happening, but it kind of feels like it is. And that was very specific. I did want to bring up one thing about speaking of lines that you're like, that seems real specific. Um, but Stamets, when he is talking to May through Tilly, he says, I should have known better. I did know better about the destruction. So I feel like there's something Something in there. And maybe that's why he was so angry when he got out of the spore room that first time and he didn't want to talk to Tilly. He was really upset and we all didn't know what he was upset about. And because of him saying that, I should have known better. I did know better. That makes me wonder, he may know something about this that he hasn't told anyone.
0: That's a really interesting point. I mean, there's sort of a, a, sort of along a similar line. When he sees uh, Culber in the in this in the uh, in the network, I think sort of the question has been: Did he actually see Culber in the network, or is he seeing sort of like an echo of Culber or things like that? I've been really curious about his exit from the from the spore room as well. I, I guess that was in the second episode. Or I can't remember if that was the first or second episode of the season, but um, that will be an interesting thing that I hope we get to. Uh, I hope we get to revisit.
4: Also well, I wonder cr- because they seemed real specific. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. What were you going to say, Sue?
1: They've also crossed some ethical lines before with the spore drive and and Fluffy slash Ripper, whichever name you choose. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think he could be referring partially to that as well, but I would also agree. I think there's something that he in particular knows about the mycelial network that he hasn't divulged.
4: Yeah, I think it's very possible.
0: Anything else on your mind tonight, Karen?
4: Oh, no. I uh, let someone else get a chance. I think there's several people here, but I really enjoyed this week's episode and I am really psyched for the episode coming up.
0: Right. Well, thank you very much. And thank you very, thank you for calling in. Please do uh, give us a call back sometime. Okay. I will. Very cool. Uh, 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call 646-558-8656. Or you can click on the uh, link on the Facebook page or tap the one tap from your smartphone and you could be on with us. Oh golly momentarily uh john is going to be coming up in just a second not champion but another one and john's going to be coming up in just a moment i want to ask you really quickly though sue yeah somebody asked earlier specifically about uh about the writing for burnham how are you feeling about the writing for all of season two to this point i mean it's it it strikes me as markedly different from last year i'm curious i'm curious what your thoughts are now
1: it's not nearly as dark Right, and um, <laughs> I I am a fan of not nearly as dark. Yeah, uh, I uh, this is you know obviously personal opinion, but I still feel like I have to qualify that. I'm I'm kind of over grim dark in my TV. Mm-hmm. I, I want something both story bright and visually bright. I get I find when when even visually uh, a, a show is dark, I lose interest. And that could just be my terrible eyesight, but <laughs> I'm I'm much happier with with the the look of the show this year. I feel like everything has a brighter feeling that way. I feel like the the dialogue is a lot brighter and a lot not nicer, but more more familial. If we can follow that thread on the ship, sure. you know, uh, Stamets is still like grumpy and sarcastic, but we know maybe it's because we know him more that we know he's not mean about it. It
0: it strikes me that he is uh, grumpy and sarcastic, and maybe this is something we learned last year. He's grumpy and sarcastic if he doesn't know you. That's going to be his default position. I mean, he's been very much warm with Tilly, and the the only thing I can even think of that he said so far was the very first episode where he made her repeat, I will say, uh, (laughs) fewer words, I believe it was, or something along those lines. Otherwise, he's been... Very kind and very nice with everyone except for uh, Reno. But mm-hmm. then, I mean, they were like, "It's it's exactly as she said. Like, oh, you're you're the funny one until somebody says something you don't like, <laughs> and then you get, you know, kind of mean in a way." I think it, it and the reason I wanted to ask you that question is. I was thinking about uh, again this this poll question that we have. Right? Do you like the one and done, or do you like the continuing thing? And I'm thinking, I like the I like the one and done because we get to you know sort of a happier, uh, not a happier place, but we get to a resolution. It's not you know it looks like things are going to be okay, and then they're dark, and then it looks like they're okay, and then they're darker, and then and then things get bad, right? But I don't know if that's if that's a function of of one and out, or if that's a function of the writers are not necessarily going as dark this year so yeah
1: i like i like this setup um that there are a couple larger issues that we have to deal with you know there's finding spock there are these seven signals there's the red angel Mm -hmm. but then each episode there's also something immediate we can deal with Mm -hmm. so while you have this longer problem you have little wins along the way yeah and that helps you create those moments of lightness and those moments of relief
0: I'm not nearly as exhausted watching season two as I was at the end of every episode of season one. Yeah. It seems, or almost every episode. Honestly, I think this is probably why it's sticking in my head as well. My two favorite episodes last year were the two standalone episodes. Uh, yeah. The one that Pavo and I am having trouble remembering right now. What the other one was, but they were they were my favorites.
1: Madness and- to make the sanest man go mad, or magic to make the sanest man go mad. The time loop one.
0: It might've been that one. It might've been that one. Yeah. Because that was pretty much standalone. You're right. Yeah. I think that was probably it. Uh, I'll have to go back and watch sometime and know for sure. Um, six, four, six, five, five, eight, eight, six, five, six is the phone number to call six, four, six, five, five, eight, eight, six, five, six, or you can tap uh, the link in the Facebook chat, or you can click the one tap from your smartphone and join us. Uh, it was, it was John I mentioned earlier was going to or had called in and he has, and he's on the line now. Good evening, John.
2: <laughs> hey, Ken uh, Hey, John Steph, How you doing? Nice. Hey, Sue Hi um, You said at the top of the podcast that you were a, a big fan of number one And in the run-up to this week's episode And we, all, we were all excited to even get a glimpse of her in this episode And I found myself in a couple of really interesting discussions And I wanted to run one of the, one of the premises by you Because I'd love to get your take on it all right. And that's her name um, you know, I heard a lot of people, uh, there were people and friends of mine that I interacted with in the run up to this that were like hopeful that they'd give her a name. And I was one of the people that was like, "No, don't give her a name. It's the worst thing you can do. <laughs> uh, cause I like that little bit of, uh, I like that little bit of mystery, you know, like Rhoda's doorman or Vera on cheers. I just love the idea that we'll never know what her name is. But, um, there was a podcast, uh, quite a while ago now, uh, Larry Nemachek's Trek Files, and, uh, John, of course, is the co host of that. Um, and it was an early one where they had DC Fontana on and they were discussing the origins of Star Trek going back to like the pre Bible days, uh, of the series 63, 64. And the idea that number one, if they had gone to series, would never have actually had a name. It turns out that number one, according to DC, was never the naval or even the Star Trek The Next Generation parlay and so calling your first officer number one. It's that she, while she looks human, she is only humanoid. And we'd have found out eventually, if they'd had an opportunity to develop the character, that she's an alien. And in her society, you rise up through the ranks of your society. And that number one is, in fact, number one for her generation on her planet. And as the the best and the brightest, she went and joined Starfleet. So it turns out that if that character had gone to series, if that character had been allowed to develop, number one is actually the closest thing she has to a name. Yeah. And uh, I find that fascinating. Like, I love the idea. But I, I, but I also understood that, you know, the other side of it is, there were people that were advocating for the idea that the character should be named. It gives uh, the character her own agency to have her name. Um, And I just kind of wanted to get your take on it.
1: Well, I I have certainly heard all of that previously. And um, depending on how much of the, the additional media you want to tie into it, uh, she is either Illyrian or a human born on Illyria, I believe is the name of the planet. Uh, but most of the time I hear it explained that her birth name is unpronounceable by humans. So she has one, but it can't, it can't be spoken. Right. Uh, So she, she's called number one because she rises to the top of her class or in everything she does. Um, In some of the comic books and novels, they give her the nickname Una, like evoke the idea of one. Um, The question of does, does, giving her a different name, give her more agency in this case. I personally don't think so because number one is her name and it is an identifier for her. And it's the way that her culture identifies if she were the only one like that, or if she were, you know, a, a group of kids that were taken out and only referred to by numbers, whereas everybody else had a name. You might have a different story there, but in, in this particular case, the way that they've they've set up the culture and the way that they've given this character a backstory, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Other than that, you know, in universe, are you really going to sit down and talk to your friend and call them number one? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little cumbersome after a while. I would hope they, they would have found something else to call her, even if they made
2: she the nickname, name.
1: you know, she, <laughs> it's not your real name but you can call me this and that also gives her a, a choice especially if she's the one saying you can refer to me as this." my my chosen name the name that i choose to go by is una or is there are a few others i don't remember quite what they were
2: so, I, just I thought of something that would sound potentially really clumsy which would be like commander number one yeah i mean (laughs) it makes you wonder what would a what would a subordinate refer to her as right
0: (laughs) no i was going to ask sue is there anything in particular that you're looking for out of that character in this season i mean or is it just you're so excited to see more of that character that as long as they don't do something (laughs) that ruins the character for you you're going to be fine
1: you know i want i want her to stay smart i want her to stay dynamic yeah um I I like that she. I, th- I think I learned something about myself preparing for this episode because I I liked that she like sassed back to Pike right away, mm-hmm. and <laughs> uh, then it occurred to me that those are also my favorite Picard Crusher scenes.
2: <laughs> so interesting.
1: Maybe maybe I'm seeing some of that in there or, or projecting something. Um, I don't necessarily want any romance to happen but i like the dynamic that when uh when officers are not afraid to stand up to their captains and when they do so aren't afraid to be i can't think of a synonym for sassy sassy about it
4: <laughs> you know
2: you know, you know, there's something I'm dying for, though. I I really want a scene where we see uh, Michael Burnham and number one together. See, in the in the earliest development, as I understand this to be, uh, in the earliest development of the series, uh, you know, they were reaching for the character number one. And as the character in the show developed, it, uh, the character became Michael Burnham and uh, number one is, you know, of course, Remains number one, but the uh, part of the reason, as I understand it, developmentally that number that Michael Burnham was to be raised on Vulcan and she was supposed to be uh, a little bit cooler and more calculating, a little more logical than your average human, mm-hmm. is because those are the character traits that were originally attributed to number one before they were d- redistributed to Spock uh, back in the sixties. Um, so it, it, there's this sort of thing now in my head where you have two alternate universe versions of the exact same character uh, <laughs> meeting like I really <laughs> want to see number one and Burnham together and in a, a two shot sharing dialogue together because in a weird way in my in my mind that will be a character talking to themselves
1: Maybe and playing I some find three, that yes. fascinating what, what's that? Maybe playing some 3D chess.
2: You know? Like <laughs> how and and the best she could hope for would be a stalemate, right? Right. Um right. <laughs> I think that would be so just so knowing and so intelligent. And I don't even know how many fans out there would get it, but it would be delightful if that happens. Like just I need I want and need them to have a scene together so that you can see two characters occupying the exact or one character occupying the same space with itself. Um, that's just cool.
0: It's, on, it's honestly also going to be interesting. I mean, if, if they're looking to to do that kind of exploration, it'll be interesting to see how Spock interacts with just about everybody. Because he is, he would yep. be obviously under number one, but he would also, uh, and as far as the hierarchy in that time in his career, he would be under Burnham as well, wouldn't he? Right. Yeah.
2: Well, and, and- And in a meta sort of way, again, those logical, calculating, computer-like aspects of Number One's personality uh, were transferred to Spock as the studio rejected Number One and, you know, uh, Gene went with Spock. So I guess, I suppose, I I hadn't thought it fully through until you you mentioned it, but if you've got a scene with the three of them in it, how bizarre is that going to be?
1: Well, the Spock we had in the cage was (laughs) much more emotional than the Spock we came to know over the three years US. so I don't think we can expect to see that that logical distanced Spock that we that we think of I think we've still got the younger Spock who hasn't quite embraced those teachings yet
0: Um, but women and we've also seen in the, uh, the women. Thank you for that. And we've also seen in the trailer, of course, he's smiling we're in the trailers for this season. Yeah. He's smiling as well. Hey, John, is there anything else you want to hit before I say thank you very much for calling? I would love it. No, no, call. I'm
2: good. Go, go on and have some fun. Well, Thanks, guys. we're having
0: fun with you. It's not like that, man. Don't be mad.
2: <laughs> thank you very much, John. Hey,
0: I want to really quickly uh, remind people about something coming up after this show. And then I want to give you something to do Saturday as well. After this show, stay on Facebook and catch the live recording of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, including uh, parts of episode 400, which drops this weekend. So normally on a Tuesday night, 1130 Eastern, 830 Pacific, Elijah, Kenna, and Anthony bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. So you can catch it streaming live as it happens on facebook.com slash Priority One podcast tonight. If you can't stay up for it live, uh, there are links upon the at podcast.roddenberry.com. You'll find you know this show, uh, Women at Warp, uh, Priority One, the track files, all the shows. So you can catch the show that they're recording tonight uh, later. Now, one other thing to let you know about as I mentioned, uh, episode 400 hits this week. And to mark the occasion, uh, the Priority One team is doing a 12 hour marathon this Saturday, the 16th of February from 1 p.m. Eastern till 1 a.m. Eastern, which is just a ton. Uh, they'll be live on Twitch, Facebook, Periscope, and YouTube, uh, playing games like Star Trek Online, uh, Star Trek Bridge Crew VR. They'll be exploring uh, Sansar's Roddenberry Nexus. Hey, hey. And they'll be playing the RPG Star Trek Adventures, and, you know, who knows what else they'll get up to. It's 12 hours, for crying out loud, and they're doing that for a cause. Uh, they're going to raise money via extra life for the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. More information about that at facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast. Uh, 12 hours this weekend. Tune in live. Twitch, Facebook, Periscope, YouTube. More info about all of it, including the fundraiser for the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia can be found at facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast. You mentioned, uh, Sue. Uh, Sue Kissenweather from Women at Warp, uh, spending the last five minutes or so with us uh, on tonight's episode. You mentioned novels and and comics and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, One problem that I've been having with this season is all of a sudden, Michael Burnham seems unable to even mention Spock's name. But when we read, was it Desperate Hours? I believe it was Desperate Hours, was the first Discovery novel that came yes. out. It had Pike, a very different Pike than Anson Maud is playing. Mm-hmm. Um, while while Spock and Burnham weren't necessarily comfy, they also weren't like, I can't even be in the same room with you. I'm trying to remember, did we get number one in that novel?
1: Yes, we did. I think. Okay.
0: Remind me. Cause, okay, you think. So, yeah, see, I'm Hopefully. having the same problem. I'm like, I know Pike was there. I know Giorgio was there. I know Saru and everybody else was there. I don't remember if number one was there or not. I do know there was no voice.
1: I think that I might be mashing it up in my brain with the captain to captain books they released for the 50th anniversary.
0: Okay. Yeah. I don't, she I don't know been
1: in books recently. I, I don't know for sure that okay. she was in that first discovery book, but yeah, I, I noticed that as well. I mean, we have in that book, Burnham and, and Spock working together mm-hmm. on their mission, that's supposed to happen just a year or so before Battle of the Binary Stars. And yet we have in in the series now Burnham saying, I haven't spoken to him in years. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Well, except for I guess that one time. they changed time, their mind after that book that. was that. published. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That's kind of odd. I will say, um, I didn't ask you what you what your feeling has been about Pike to this point. I was not a fan of the Pike in that book. There was something about him that was just, he just seemed it seemed like that book was really about Burnham, JoJo, and Spock, and Pike was almost like a was almost like a backdrop in a way. I've been really happy with Pike this year. So, at the risk of coloring your response, what do you think of Pike?
1: I am also very happy with Captain Pike. Oh, cool! I think yeah. Anson Mount is is crushing it mm-hmm.
0: for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, he brings a and, and of course it's it's kinda like when they came in, I guess, at the end of the first episode when when Pike was like, Where does somebody sit here? And the answer was, Well, nobody sits here because Lorca wasn't that kind of guy. I mean, maybe you could almost have Jellicoe in there and think, Oh, this guy's great. You know, compared <laughs> to compared to Lorca, certainly.
1: I so, think the bit that totally encapsulates this Pike is when he says, skip the ranks, they don't matter.
0: Hmm. That's really interesting. That's right. When he went around, but he did want to know everybody's name mm-hmm. and he's been using them all quite a bit, uh, quite a bit as well. Well, we are just about at the end. Um, I think people have heard us. Well, I know we've had uh, other guests from women at warp on before, and I know people have heard us talk about the Roddenberry podcast network, but please, won't you, if there's any place you would like for people to find you uh, to follow you. And of course, if you want to give the elevator pitch for women at warp, uh, now would be the chance.
1: Yeah, Women at Warp, we are a feminist Star Trek podcast here on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Uh, we, lead, we Now I can't speak. We release <laughs> every other week and um, have some some interesting stuff in the works. So you can find the website over at womenatwarp.com. We also have a blog where we have contributing writers and we have recaps of every uh, Discovery episode, usually the day after they air. And they're also usually pretty snarky if you you like your Trek with a side of snark. And uh, in particular, if uh, fandom history is your jam, as it is mine, I recently published an article in a fanzine called Journey Planet that is a brief history of Star Trek fandom. So you
0: can check that out, too. Very cool. Well, I can't thank you enough for – I know I started off a little – What's the word I'm looking for? Hinky for <laughs> this episode, but I can't thank you enough for uh, for filling in for John. And uh, why don't you do it next week and the week after? And uh, you know, we'll we'll see.
1: I've got plenty of blazers.
0: Excellent, fantastic. Oh, I and me me without mine. <laughs> Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production this week. Again, a huge thanks to Earl Green for, for doing what he does. Uh, we would love it if you would check out, um, you know, podcast.roddenberry.com. I'm skipping that part. We need to take that part out of there. Podcast.roddenberry.com. As Sue just mentioned, I mean, there's Women at Warp. There are the track Files. There is, uh, there's uh, Mission Log Live. Uh, there's Mission Log and I know I'm forgetting one. Oh, Priority One, which is coming up in a few minutes. Thanks to everybody who joined us live. Thanks to everybody who's joining us later. And we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.